A few years ago, my oldest son, Nicholas, was still living at home. He was attending DMACC, uh, and uh, this was before he went off to, to Trinity, and uh, he's graduating this year, getting married in the spring. Lots changed, but at this time, Nicholas was still kind of trying to figure out what he was going to do, so he spent a year at DMACC, and he got a job at Jordan Creek Mall selling cell phones. That was primarily his job. He was just at this small shop in the mall selling cell phones. And, and I thought, I remember thinking when he got this job, this is the perfect job for Nicholas. Because one, Nicholas loves people. He just, if you've ever had a chance to visit with my oldest, God has gifted him with connecting with people and just social. He just thrives on people and loves. I thought this would be a great job for him, connecting with people all the time. And then the other thing is Nicholas loves technology. Uh, he's always got the latest gizmo and gadget, and he tears them apart and puts them back together, both on the hardware and the software end. And I just thought this would be great for him. He knows whenever my phone needs fixed or when my kids come to me and have a technology question, I just send them to Nicholas. So I thought this will be perfect. It'll be the greatest job. Uh, about six months into this, I one day just said, hey, how's work going? And he said, oh, it's okay. With that tone of voice that means it's not okay, you know what I mean? And uh, and I, so I, I probed a little bit, and my initial, he, he said, it's okay, but he said, I think I'm going to look for a different job. Now, the skeptic in me, initially, my initial thought was, oh, this is that 18-year-old kid lack of stick for a job. You know, that was my initial thought. But I, I didn't say that because uh, I, I'm a little smarter than to just say that. So I thought, I said, well, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's happening. And, uh, and so he said, well, here's the deal, Dad. My job is to push, to try to convince people to buy an $800 to $1,200 cell phone. Uh, and he said, that, that's my job. I, I, I need to sell this. And a lot of people come to me wanting this, so it's an easy sell. But the problem is, is generally the people coming to me wanting to buy $800 to $1,200 cell phones can't afford it. Like, they have no business buying a cell phone that that's ex- it's that expensive. They oftentimes, uh, you know, they can't pay their rent on a given month. They're having a hard time putting gas in the car. They may not even be able to feed their kids or, or they're retired on a very strict budget. And he's like, but I'm supposed to sort of force this upon them and get them to buy this cell phone. I'm re- required to do it and I'm, I'm actually hurting them. And my thought was, as he shared that, was that... Uh, I was just really proud of him, you know, like, wow, that's a young man who is operating his life with conviction. He has a desire to help others, and he's willing to step away from a a good job because it was violating his personal conviction. And I just was really, really proud of him, living his life with conviction. As followers of Jesus, you too should live your life with conviction. You should, and so should I. We've been in, in this series in Luke now for quite some time, and um, as we've talked through every, every week, I remind you that Luke's purpose in writing the Gospel of Luke is to demonstrate that Jesus wasn't an accident, that Jesus, everything he did, how he lived, his purpose in coming, he was the fulfillment of the Father's design. And so everything was intentional. And of course, out of that, we see that you and I should live our lives intentionally on purpose as well. And so much of what Jesus is going to teach us. 
So it's about living on purpose. And so in the Gospel of Luke, there are four movements. We're in the second movement. We've been here for a very long time. Uh, in, a, in, in about three weeks, we're going to kind of come to an end of the, the second movement. Um, but that's kind of where we are in this whole thing. And, and Jesus has been just been doing ministry in Galilee. He's given his authority to his disciples, and he has sent them out on ministry. And if you remember last week, they came out from doing ministry. They came back to Jesus and they were like ready to take a vacation. Like we've been working hard. We're ready. Let's go back to the way it was, Jesus, where you just do it all and we watch. And Jesus gave them an opportunity in the feeding of the 5,000 to realize that the mission wasn't over. And he incorporates the disciples in this feeding of the 5,000. And it's this powerful moment. What today we're going to see happen is we're going to see uh, in this in this moment where Jesus is going to talk to them and we're going to see Peter confess his conviction about who Jesus is and the statement and then we're going to see the statement about what that means. So Peter is going to confess a conviction about Jesus identity and then Jesus is going to follow that up with some relatively hard, difficult things. You see, what we're going to learn today is it's not simply enough to be part of kingdom work, which the disciples have been doing. They've been out doing the work of the kingdom. The kingdom ministry must be rooted in a deep conviction about Jesus' identity and purpose. When you understand these things, you develop a conviction, and then the cost of following Jesus is worth it. I always tell you that I want you to write down one thing. I want you to take away one thing. And the one thing is simply this, to follow Jesus, you must have conviction. To follow Jesus, you must have conviction. So this is kind of where I want you to go and what I want you to remember today. And what we're going to see, if if you were to take our text today, which starts in verse 18, you can see three major sections of what's going to happen today. We're going to see Peter's conviction that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we're going to see Jesus go, Okay, that's awesome. I'm really glad you believe that. But there's more to this than you realize. And then the third section, he's going to say, and by the way, this cost, this thing about me being the Messiah, it's going to come at a great cost to me, but it's also going to come at a great cost to you. You see, conviction of who Jesus is is going to spill over into a willingness to suffer and to suffer with Christ to count the cost. And so let's talk about these things today. And we're just going to talk about three things, three aspects of, of following Jesus with conviction. And the first one is this. Following Jesus means having a conviction about his identity. You have to have a conviction about who Jesus said he was and who you believe he is. Let's look at these first verses here together. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened... That he, talking about Jesus, Jesus was praying alone and the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? You know, it's like the teacher giving you a quiz, right? But he wants to know more than that. Jesus is kind of searching for public opinion here. And so the disciples answered, well, John the Baptist But others say that you're Elijah, and others still that you're one of the prophets of old who's risen. Then verse 20, he said to them, 
Eh, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So this scene has drastically changed. We went from Jesus in front of thousands and thousands of people and the disciples frantically doing ministry to Jesus being all alone with just his disciples. And Jesus is praying, and I imagine the disciples are trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing at this moment. And they're sitting there, and Jesus stops his prayer, and he just asks them in this beautiful time of reflection um, and, and this quiet time away, he just says, what's the popular opinion about me? What's the word on the street? And they reply, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. That's who people say you are. Isn't it interesting if you were to flip back a page, uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 7, Herod the Tetrarch was perplexed, and what he, he couldn't figure Jesus out, and he thought he might be John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. The disciples are just saying, well, this is the word on the street. This is what everyone is going, wow, this guy doing all these amazing things. Who is he? We can't figure this out. And so they, they reply with this. But Jesus really isn't interested in popular opinion. He doesn't really care. What he really wants to know is what his disciples think. And so they, after all, they started following him because they thought he might be the Messiah. And now they've had ample time to watch him, to minister alongside him. And he wants to know if they've made any conclusions about him. And so Peter chimes, chimes in, and he's always the first to chime in. Uh, you know, he, he's Nathan the extrovert, right? He just jumps in and, and uh, he, he jumps in and he says, what does he say? He says, well, you are the Christ, the son of God. The Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. He's declaring you are the Messiah. You're it, Jesus. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Messiah. He goes, I was I was wondering when I started following you and seeing that you're different than all the other rabbis, I was wondering, I was curious. I came alongside you and followed you to see maybe Jesus you are. And I have made a conclusion after following you for all these months, Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is a big deal for, for Peter to say that it's a big deal. Because there have been a lot of false messiahs before. Peter is sort of probably walking into this and the disciples a little bit gingerly going, who is the one that is going to come and rescue us from this, this world power, the Romans that are oppressing us? Who's going to raise the nation of Israel back to prominence on the world stage? Who's going to give us our freedom? This messiah. And, G and Peter says, it's you, Jesus. And Peter says this. We've seen amazing miracles. You've given us your authority. We've done amazing things. You are the one. It's with the deep conviction that Peter identifies who Jesus is. You see, your conviction about who Jesus is really matters. It really matters that you believe deeply about who Jesus is. See, the temptation in our culture in particular is to say that all religions are the same. All churches are the same. They all the religions kind of do good things and they all get us a little closer to God by doing good things. And Jesus isn't necessarily unique. He's just, you know, a great guy. Who is Jesus? I mean, it's really the question that 
every person has to answer. You either have to say that I don't believe he exists, that he was a myth, uh, that he was just a person, maybe he really lived, and history has inflated him to be something he's not. Maybe you think, man, he, he, I believe history got it right, that Jesus was a real guy, and he was sure a good guy. Maybe some of you might even think he, he was like a prophet. You know, uh, Muslims, that's what they say about Jesus, that he was an esteemed prophet, just like so many other prophets. Was he God? Like a God? Like the Mormons believe that he was just one of many gods? What, what, what is Jesus? Or is he the one true God in human form who came to us? You see, it matters. It matters who you say that Jesus is. I wonder if you have happened to slide through your life without a conviction about who Jesus really is. I mean, it's possible that you could come to church every single week because you think it's the right thing to do and never personally come to a personal conviction about who Jesus is. But I'm asking you, and Jesus is asking you today, to not leave here without that kind of conviction. And this is why Jesus asked his disciples. It's not enough, Jesus says, for me just to be another Elijah or another prophet. It's not just enough that I'd even be John the Baptist raised back to life. It's not enough for that. I need to be something more. Now, what's really interesting about Peter's conviction about Jesus, while it's true, he's the Messiah, it's a little incomplete. Peter has not fully yet come to realize, and I don't think he will until Jesus is risen from the dead, he's not fully come to realize the extent of Jesus' identity. Identity. He thinks Jesus is the Messiah. He thinks Jesus is going to be king. He thinks, hey, we're going to conquer the Romans now, and we're going to set up an administration. And he, Peter thinks, I'm going to be in Jesus' political cabinet, and this is going to be great. How do I know that Peter was thinking this? How do I know that the disciples were thinking this? That they've gone, hey, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and yet it's somewhat incomplete. Well, if you just look forward a few verses into our text uh, in the next couple of weeks, verse 48 of chapter 9, <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, they're, they're sitting there in, in, uh, in Luke 9, actually 40, 46. Uh, he says, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Like they're thinking about their own prestige and power in the new world order of Jesus. And while that's going to happen someday, they're thinking about this as a little bit incomplete. So at the one hand, your conviction about Jesus matters. You need to know who he is, but you're also... Um, you need to understand and be encouraged a little bit by this. Maybe your conviction about who Jesus is is also somewhat incomplete. But this means there's room for you and me to grow about who we understand Jesus to be. Uh, even Peter, an eventual apostle, he, he didn't get it all right. Jesus doesn't shame him or tell him he's wrong because Peter is correct. Jesus is the Messiah. He just doesn't have, Peter doesn't have the whole picture and so Jesus is going to correct what is lacking. Jesus' purpose is greater than Peter knows, and he's going to save the whole world. Jesus is going to save the whole world. So we start with, a you have to have a conviction about Jesus' identity. The next conviction you have to have, the second thing I want to talk about today, is a conviction about his purpose. 
a conviction about Jesus' purpose. This is where Jesus is going to fill in the blanks for Peter and go, okay, you think I'm the Messiah, but this has some things in it, this Messiahship that you probably aren't ready to, to hear. And, and so Peter is probably going to say, hey, I mean, if you think about it, okay, if I believe Jesus is God, Peter's probably not quite there yet, but you and I, if we believe Jesus is God, what on earth is God doing here on earth as a human? It, I mean, if we think that Jesus is more than a nice guy, more than a moralistic influencer, why did he come? Peter thinks Jesus has come to restore Israel to its prominence. He's ready for that. Jesus is going to respond to Peter's misperception, his incomplete thinking about this, with a greater sense of his purpose. Look at verse 21. And he, speaking about Jesus, Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man, which is a reference to a prophecy in Daniel about the Messiah. Jesus is basically quoting Daniel and saying, yes, this is me. So saying, yes, the Son of Man, the Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, think about this for just a second. Okay, Peter has in his mind, the disciples have in mind that Jesus is going to take over the nation of Israel, restoring it to prominence. Wait, how is he going to assume power without the blessing of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes? If they're going to reject him, how is this going to work? Wait, 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 it gets worse. Jesus said he must be killed. Wait, what? Wait, how, how is going to, Jesus going to assume power if he's dead? Huh. And then he says he must be raised. And I think the disciples just threw up their hand and go, this is so confusing. This is one of those deals where Jesus is talking in a parable that I don't get. And they just throw up their hands and go, okay, not sure what that means. But Jesus' purpose is greater than the disciples yet realize. The disciples are confused. And Luke is looking back now. And he's looking back at all of this and going, oh, I get it. I get what Jesus is doing here. I get what he's saying. Luke has this clarity about it because hindsight's twenty twenty. He's looking back at it. And Luke understands the gospel. Luke understands this good news that Jesus came not just to restore Israel to prominence, but to save the whole world from their sins. Luke gets it. You see, Jesus did not come just to be the Messiah that Peter thinks he is. He's got more to do and more going on. And the cost will be great for Jesus. He will suffer immensely. He will spread out his arms and allow his creation to kill him. He will shed his blood, which will cover over you and I in our sins. And he will raise from the dead victorious over sin and death. He'll send his Holy Spirit to us who lives amongst us so we can be agents of God's kingdom. This is all great news that Peter doesn't get yet, but Luke does looking back on it. He understands it. Sometimes we have the problem of the disciples, don't we? Like we just kind of go, um, okay, I'm, I want Jesus to be my personal savior, make my life better. I really don't need to deal with the cost that it cost him and eventually might cost me. Sometimes we have the same problem as the disciples. Sometimes we have the opposite problem. 
Sometimes we limit Jesus to just his saving work. We think, okay, Jesus came to get me into heaven, and we ignore the present aspects of the kingdom of God. Uh, His purpose, and he says it as much, just skip real quick down to verse 27, the last verse in our text for today. He says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I think that's a reference to the Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and indwells his disciples to do amazing kingdom work. So Jesus is saying as much, hey, the gospel, the good news, Luke's kind of telling us it's greater than just your personal salvation. You're an agent of the kingdom of God. There's this aspect going on all throughout Luke of something that theologians refer to as the already not yet. The already not yet. There are these aspects of the kingdom of God which are already present. And then there are aspects of the kingdom of God that are not yet. Um, We look forward to Jesus coming back and reigning. That doesn't mean that all aspects of the kingdom of God are future. No, that means there's there's also an already present aspect of God's kingdom that you and I as followers of Jesus can be agents of. And you and I then today need to live with conviction that Jesus' purpose is to forgive sins and to make us agents of God's kingdom. And we live with these convictions that Jesus who is in turn changes to who am I? We think, on the one hand, we ask the question, who is Jesus? What's his identity? I have a conviction. But now we have to ask the question, well, who am I? And his purpose gives me purpose. If Jesus is the Messiah, come to forgive us our sins and to establish and set up his kingdom and make us agents of his kingdom, who he is matters about who we are. His purpose gives us purpose. So we need to have a conviction about Jesus' identity. The second thing I said was we need to have a conviction about his purpose. And now the third thing, a conviction about the cost. A conviction about the cost. Just in case his disciples are confused, Jesus is going to say, hey, this whole Messiah thing isn't going to just cost me. It's also going to cost you, he says to his disciples. You see, I'm the Messiah. You believe that. The Messiah is going to look a little different. I got a different purpose than you maybe see. That purpose is also going to cost you. Look at 23 to the end of the chapter. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man, there's that Daniel reference again, be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Um, first of all, we see this kind of famous verse about denying yourself, taking up your cross daily following him there's some important words there deny yourself is this is the way of life of a christ follower 
deny yourself. Um, we live in a world that tells you to indulge yourself, to think more about you. Your problem, for instance, is you don't love yourself enough, so you can't love anybody else. That's a common thing you might hear. You might hear that, uh, you know, you deserve whatever. Uh, it, it, marketing only works in our culture, it seems like, if, if the individual self-interest is raised to such a high degree that you and I as individuals are willing to spend a lot of money on ourselves because we value ourselves so much. But the way of the cross is different. The way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus says my first and primary obligation and commitment is not to seek myself for my own glory, but to seek the glory of God and others. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And remember, at this point, Jesus hasn't died yet when he says this. We look at the cross and we think it's the symbol of Jesus' death. When, you know, you look at that cross right there and the first thing you think about, I hope, is Jesus. Jesus on the cross. But that's not the way people in Jesus' day would have seen a cross. Uh, They would have seen a gas chamber or uh, an electrocution chair. It was an instrument. Thousands of people were crucified. It was an instrument of common torture and execution. That's how... So when Jesus says take up your cross daily, you might as well say, take up your electric chair and follow me. Daily. In other words, okay, so I'm going to die a death every single day. And it's just this reminder that as a Christ follower, you are called to die to yourself every day. In other words, I'm going to die to myself. And then follow me. And and this is really about giving your whole life So we've moved to, okay, I've made a decision to deny myself, to die every day, and then every day I'm going to continue to make a choice to follow Jesus. And I think Jesus says this because he knows us, and he knows that we have to make this choice every day. He knows that every day when we get up, the first things on our mind is going to be us. You open your eyes, you probably grab your phone if you're like most of us, and Look, first thing, and your phone is already alerting you of things that remind you about you. And you have to make a choice every single day to deny yourself, to take up your cross every day, and to follow Jesus. There is a great cost. And you should know this before you sign up. Maybe you just thought Jesus was here to get you into heaven, and uh, and, and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, well... I came for more than that. So it's not only you have to believe that I'm God, the Messiah, God incarnate. You have to understand my purpose is going to have suffering. You have to understand that your life, too, will have a cost if you're going to follow me. And it's not something that we really like to talk about. Um, I remember (laughs) uh, years ago, Clarissa and I went to like a, Oh, it was a little resort thing uh, just for a vacation. It was up in the Wisconsin Dells with our, our family. We drove up there, and and uh, they said when we checked in, hey, um, would you like uh, a, a $200 meal credit for the weekend? Well, yes, I would like a $200 meal credit. 
okay, well, if you do that, we just need to sign you up for a presentation. I'm like, oh, okay, one of these, all right? So it's a timeshare presentation, and okay, well, Clarissa and I talk about it, and I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, I said, the first thing we're going to do when we sit down is tell them we are not buying, we are just doing this for $200, okay? So we did. We sit down, and the guy goes, okay, okay. So he goes through the whole process and shows us all this thing, and then he says to us, you know, you have, at the, you have six kids. Uh, you need this. Uh, you would be doing your children a dishonor or disservice if you didn't get this, uh, you know. And I go, well, uh, n- no, uh, no thanks. And he goes, look at all the benefits you get. And then he goes through and he talks all about the amazing things about this resort and place and how we could go all the time. And, and it would be just wonderful. And we'd be bad parents if we denied our children this timeshare. And, uh, but it was interesting to me about how he didn't talk at all. About the downsides of timeshare. I mean, if you just Google downside of timeshare, like you'll get flooded with all this stuff about, you know, value. You, you could always sell it, he says, right? You know, you can't sell them. The maintenance uh, fees increase exponentially. Like it gets to where you can't afford to keep it, but you can't get rid of it. Like you hear all these terrible, terrible things. He didn't talk about that once to me. Like we didn't get any of that. Finally, um, he left angry with us. He was angry and he walked away, which I learned later. That's a sales technique. Okay, whatever. He was angry with us. He walked away and we walked out of there and we never been back. (laughs) But what he did not do is start with this. Hey, I'd like to sell you a timeshare today. Now, I want to start with all the reasons you shouldn't do this. Like this is going to cost a lot and uh, you'll never be able to get out of it and you'll have maintenance fees forever. Like that's not what he did. (laughs) Why? What does Jesus do? I I mean, it's just insane. He goes, oh, by the way, uh, you're going to follow me. That's great. I'm going to die. And as followers, like this isn't going to go well for you. And by the way, the cost is going to get greater because you're going to have to die every day with me. Who's on board? Let's sign up. I mean, I just am blown away by Jesus saying, hey, here's a cost to following me. And frankly, I don't hear a lot of churches and pastors in our country talk about this. We go, no, Jesus comes for you because he's going to make your life better. He's going to heal your marriage. He's going to heal your finances. He's going to do all these great things for you. I always just wondered, why would anyone ever become a Christian? Because if you listen to Jesus' words, there's going to be a high cost to following him. And Jesus wants his disciples to know it. Because we should know the cost before we sign up. I don't know if you've ever had this, your experience in your home. Um, but, you know, like imagine you go home and your spouse is there. And, oh, yeah, the, the furnace repair person came today. And, uh, and uh, they said we need a new I don't know, widget 3000. You know, uh, OK. And you say, well, how, how much is it going to cost? Oh, I didn't ask. I just told him to send you the bill and you'd cover it, whatever it was. It could be anything he wants. That has not happened in my house ever, but it would not go over well if that happened, right? We want to know the cost before we sign up. Jesus is saying to us here, hey guys, I'm so glad you believe that I'm the Messiah. 
you think there's this great era coming where you're going to sit in a cabinet and be the secretary of state and the vice president and you're going to have all this power and people are going to wait on you hand and foot and just so you know, it's kind of going to work the opposite. You're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me because there's going to be a cost. But there's also a high reward. Because one day, we will stand before him and he will acknowledge us when it matters. Peter gets this later in his letter in 1 Peter 4, he writes, But rejoice as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice when his glory is revealed. God, I love it when you could look later on and go, oh, he got it. Peter got it. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, self-preservation by attachment to the, the world and the values of the world, you're going to lose it. But if you want to lose your life by attaching yourself to the values of Jesus and the kingdom of God, you'll save it. So what I want to know today as we just come to a, a close is this. Are you a Christian with conviction? Are you a Christian with conviction? And namely, do you have a conviction about who Jesus is and, and the cost associated with following him? Do you think, or maybe you did, you thought you could get away with saying, okay, well, I've got my life all kind of in order. Uh, I've got, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm in my PTA group for my kids and and, and I, I'm on, on this committee at work and I volunteer over here in this thing. And, and I've kind of got, I've got a good job and I've got my retirement stuff set up and I'm good there. And I seem to be taking care of my kids. And, oh, we just need a little religion to kind of round out the picture. And, and Jesus doesn't want to be your little bit of religion. He wants your conviction of who he is. He wants your whole life. How do you do this? You live with conviction by believing that Jesus is the Messiah and you see every relationship, every relationship with his compassionate eyes. All right, about once a year, I bring this plate in. If you've been here for a while, this is like part of our liturgy at Waukee Community Church is my kid's plate. If you've never seen this before, I'll tell you the same thing that I say about once a year for the last 15 years. Uh, my, my kids, particularly when they were little, Although I keep having them, so they keep getting a little, although we're not having any more. Okay, just to say. Um, but, uh, like, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, but these plates are great because they keep all your food separate. You know, because heaven forbid that the chicken nuggets would touch the green beans or, you know, or the, 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 the meat would touch the vegetables or the applesauce can be all contained in one little spot. And these are the greatest things because if they touch... You know, and I could hear the voice of my father in my head going, you know, they're all going to mix up in your stomach anyway. Uh, these plates are great. You can keep every food compartmentalized. And this is how we think about our lives. Typically, we go, well, you know, I've got my work life and I've got my home life and 
Uh, you know, I've got this uh, who I was in high school when I go back home. I'm, I'm this person. Or, you know, you think, oh, this is my, maybe my family goes in this one, the big one, right? You feel really good. Like, put family where it is. And, oh, we'll put Jesus over here in a compartment. Maybe you're super spiritual and you go, Jesus gets the big compartment, right? He, I'm super spiritual. And, and of course, the problem with this is, is Jesus doesn't want to be a compartment in your life. He is not interested. He says, oh, you've got to give me your whole life. And when we see the cost of following Jesus and we realize that we throw out the compartments, all of a sudden our belief that he is the Messiah who has come to save all of humanity helps us to see people in every compartment in that lens. And so the person that you go to work with who whose value system is so different than yours and they're just such an affront to you that you go, how could I, I, like, if I'm honest, I I really don't like this person. But Jesus does. Because see, your belief and conviction that he's Messiah flows to that person whose value system is totally different than yours. Maybe it's something simple as I interact with people of a different race and it makes me super uncomfortable. But because Jesus, your whole life, you've given to him, you go, but Jesus cares and loves that person deeply, and I'm going to. Uh, Maybe it's some family member that you just can't stand. Jesus says, you gave me your whole life, so I see your belief that Jesus is the Messiah blends into everything. Blends to your coworkers. It blends to that little league parrot who is screaming at the umpire every time and make you so uncomfortable and you think, how could someone be filled with that much hatred? Yeah, Jesus loves that guy or that lady. He loves them. He's the Messiah for all. And we don't get to just compartmentalize our our political beliefs and our spiritual beliefs and our family values and our, you know, we don't get to do that. Jesus, if we are, have a conviction that he's the Messiah, he touches every single aspect of our life. The business partner that you can't stand, the guy <laughs> installing your gutters. Right? I get, we got new gutters going on this week. Like this guy, Jesus loves this guy. Uh, how about the kid who's picking on your kid at school or on the bus? Like if you compartmentalize, you can go, oh, I'm I'm mama bear right now and I'm coming after him. Except now that because you believe Jesus is Messiah of all, you have to see that kid through the lens of someone who's loved by Jesus. Are you living with the conviction that following Jesus will cost you everything? Every corner of your life is his. To follow Jesus, you must have conviction about who he is, what he came to do, and what it'll cost you to follow him. So we're going to close with a song today. And this song gets me every time. It's called The Life I Live. There's a line in here that says, yours is the right to rule my life. Have you ever said that to anybody? Yours is the right to rule my life. Let's pray. God, we ask that as we wrestle with this 
hard message today. That you would help us to develop a deeper conviction for following Jesus with our whole life daily. But help us to see the joy that giving up our life affords us. Help us to see the sorrow in selfishness. And help us to see others with the love that you have for them. So Jesus, take every corner, every piece. As we sang earlier, we surrender to you. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.